Well, this morning we're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to talk about Jesus' teaching about deception and discernment. The deception that we're talking about is a false teaching of the gospel. It's intended to lead people away from the church and away from Christ. And the discernment that we're going to be talking about is the discernment that grows from spiritual growth. And it allows us to be able to tell when somebody is teaching the true gospel or the false gospel. Now, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time. Let me uh, remind you about where we've been on that so you can put my comments uh, in, in context. Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount by telling us about the blessings that flow from submission to God and obedience to his will. And those blessings are what we call the Beatitudes. And next, he started to talk about the false and deceptive teaching by the Pharisees. And he said, he began that by saying, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and he explained that the righteousness of the Pharisees was an external righteousness, a self-made righteousness. And, and he said that the true righteousness comes from the heart because God looks at the heart and not at externals. And then in the sermon, he gave examples of false and deceptive teaching about righteousness, and he contrasted that with true righteousness. Let me give you, give you an example. He talked about adultery, and he said that the Pharisees will tell you that if you haven't gone out and committed the physical act of adultery, you have not violated God's commandment that thou shalt not commit adultery. But he said, if you have looked on a person with lust in your heart, you've dwelt on that. You have already committed adultery, and you've done it because what is in your heart will come out sooner or later. And he said, the Pharisees teach that if you haven't gone out and murdered somebody physically, then you haven't violated the commandment, thou shalt not murder. But he said, if you are angry with your brother and you dwell on that anger, he said, you have already committed murder because it's in your heart. And what's in your heart will ultimately come out. And then he gave us some commandments. He commanded us to love our enemies, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, to trust God, to pray, to fast, to give. And all of those things can be done only if we have a righteousness in the heart. The last time we studied the uh, Sermon on the Mount, um, Elder Ed Lee gave us a message from Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, 
And that's where Jesus said that there is only one way that leads to eternal life. And all other roads lead to destruction. There's only one way. All roads don't lead up to the top of the mountain. All religions don't worship the same God. There aren't three or four ways that you really like a little better so you can, you know, you can pick and choose. There is one way. That's what Jesus said. And tonight, we're going to follow up on that by looking at the next eight verses, or to this morning, but looking at the next eight verses um, about his warning about deception and his call for discernment. And the text is Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. And he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit and every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit and a diseased tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear bad fruit, uh, but does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In this passage... Jesus warns us that we can be deceived by others, by false teachers, and deceived particularly about the true nature of the gospel and righteousness. And he also warns us that we can deceive ourselves about the same things, about the truth of the gospel and the true true righteousness. And finally... Jesus tells us that the only way to avoid being deceived, either by others or by ourselves, is to be able to discern the truth. Now, this deception that we're talking about, wherever, whatever kind of deception comes from the devil, Satan has always wanted to kill Christ. When Jesus was a baby, Satan got Herod to send his soldiers to go out to Bethlehem and kill every baby, murder every baby that was in the town and the surrounding area in an attempt to get Christ. But he failed. And then, when Jesus preached his first sermon in Nazareth, Satan got the congregation in that synagogue to attempt to throw him off a cliff and kill him. But he failed. 
And when Jesus was teaching in the temple, Satan got the Pharisees so upset that they were going to stone him to death. But Satan failed. And then Satan saw Jesus on the cross, beat up, bloody, dying. And Jesus died on that cross. And Satan must have been thrilled that he finally was able to do it. But Jesus defeated death and rose from the grave just to bless us. And you can imagine Satan was pretty upset about that one. Well, then the worst possible thing could have happened. There's a new body of Christ on earth, and it's the church. And now Satan is trying to kill the church. He wants to kill the body of Christ. And he's continually trying to destroy the church. And he's, his principal weapon in doing that is deceptive and false teaching to lead people away. Deception always comes from the devil. If you look at, at um, what Jesus said in John 8.44, he said he, that is the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Every lie comes from him. Now, while, while false teachers could be outside, more often they're inside the church. They could be pastors, they could be elders, or, or just as likely, perhaps more likely, there'll be people in the congregation who are very knowledgeable spiritually, and they have their own views of what's right and what's wrong about the gospel. And they'll talk about their views. And we think we know them. We've, we've seen them before. But they can be wolves in sheep's clothing, as Jesus says. They don't have God's agenda. They have their own agenda. And their own agenda almost always is either sex or money or power. They are driven by that to lead people to them and away from the church and away from Christ. Now, in, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the false teachers. And if you read the, the, the Gospels, you can see he's talking to the, the Pharisees about being uh, false teachers and so forth. But once Christian churches were being planted, the threats of deception came primarily from inside the church. Paul, for example, warned the elders uh, at the church in Ephesus in his last visit. He was leaving. He knew it was his last visit, last time he was going to see him. And so what he said was in Acts 20, 29 to 31, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, to draw them out of the church to destroy the church. And John tells us, at, at almost exactly the same time, he tells us that the false prophets and teachers are already there in the church and leading people away. In uh, 1 John 2.18, he says, Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists 
have come. They were there. And, and as a matter of fact, this issue of false teachers is, is given more attention in the New Testament than almost any other issue. Paul wrote the book of Galatians specifically because Pharisees were coming from Jerusalem out to the new church telling people that the gospel consisted of grace through faith plus obedience to the Mosaic law, circumcision, the dietary restrictions, and so forth. That's a false teaching. It's grace through faith plus nothing. And Paul also deals with the same issue in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Second uh, Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy. He, he deals with it in so many letters. And it's not just Paul. All three letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, are dealing with this issue of false teachers who came into the church and were either leading people away, and that was that's mainly in 1 John, or had come into the church and taken over and were throwing out people who believed in the true gospel. And, and look at, uh, sometimes look at Second um, Peter and Jude. Now these are little books, little letters, probably a page, page and a half in your Bible. And they focus specifically on this issue. That's all they talk about is the false teachers who have come into the church. They crept into the church and are deceiving people. And, and we, could, we could go on with that. But you get the idea of how pervasive this issue is. And this is the attack of Satan on the church. And it's an important issue. Make, make no mistake about it. Deception and discernment are life and death issues. We are not talking about, you know, theoretically how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. We're not talking about, you know, some philosophy or something like that. These are issues of earthly life and death as well as eternal life and death. Not only for the church, but for every Christian, for you and for me and for you and for your kids. People have died because of false teaching. And that's, you know, that's a pretty bold statement. Let me, let me see if I can put that in context for you. Um, in the late 50s, there was a bold young man, good preacher. He was ordained by the Disciples of Christ Church. And he preached the gospel. And he, and he preached the gospel with sort of an emphasis on uh, taking care of the downtrodden, the needy, and so forth. And that's good. But over a period of time, his teaching changed a little bit. It became a little less gospel and a little more taking care of the needy. And it kept changing and it kept changing. And, and at some point, we quit worrying about salvation. We quit worrying about Christ dying on the cross. We, we focused solely on those people. And it became, as he said, apostolic socialism. Socialism was the gospel. 
and then it changed a little more. And at some point, it became apostolic communism. And communism was the gospel. And then all this other stuff in scripture was, was just nonsense. We didn't have to uh, worry about that. And uh, this man's name was Jim Jones. And after the authorities started looking into allegations of illegal activities, kidnapping, drugs, uh, uh, child molestation, theft going on in, the in his church, he decided to take all of his followers, everybody would, would follow him, and go down to Guyana in South America and form a colony there. And he did it because there's no extradition treaty, or there wasn't at the time, I don't know if there is now. And so about a thousand people went with him with this false teaching. And then he started to teach something else. He started to teach what's called translation. And translation, the, the basic teaching was, we're all going to die at the same time. And if we do, then we're all going to be resurrected on a different planet in a different solar system and we'll uh, you know, live eternally in bliss. And then there were more allegations. Kidnapping, theft, drugs, child molestation, all that kind of stuff. The authorities even in Guyana started to get concerned and come in. And when they did, one night, Jim Jones and 914 people committed suicide. Men, women, children, and babies. The mothers poured the poison down their baby's throat. The people that discerned the false nature of his teachings and left, didn't follow him or got out of there, lived. And the people that didn't died. Well, that was, you know, that was some time ago. There was another bold young preacher. He also was ordained. And he was in the uh, late 80s. And people, you know, loved his preaching and they were following him. He was very dynamic. And then he began to preach that the key to the scriptures was the seven seals in the book of Revelation. And if you know what those seals are, if you have that secret knowledge, then you know the way to salvation. And of course, he knew. So he let people in you know, a little bit at a time. And then he started teaching. His name was Vernon Howell. You probably never heard of him. Then he started teaching that he was a direct descendant of the biblical King David. And he was a spiritual descendant of Cyrus the Great, the Persian emperor that you know, uh, allowed the uh, Jews to go back to Jerusalem after the uh, exile. And because Cyrus had done that, uh, Cyrus was really the Messiah that was talked about in the Bible. And so he was a descendant of King David and of the Messiah. And by the way, in, in uh, uh, Vernon Hall decided he ought to change his name. He took the name of David. And in Persian, the name Cyrus is really Koresh. It was David Koresh. And he led a group down in Waco, Texas, and they formed a little colony. And again, there were allegations of kidnapping. 
in child molestation, in drugs and weapons. And so the authorities came to find out what was going on. And when they came, there was a gunfight and a fire, and almost everybody died. The people that discerned the truth left and lived. And the people that believed this false teaching stayed there and died. That's how important this is. Now, Jim Jones and David Koresh grew up in churches and had credibility because they were insiders, not outsiders. And Jesus tells us that the really dangerous deceiver is the person who seems to be one of us. He seems to, seems to be part of us. And by the way, the, you know, these examples like uh, Jim Jones, David Koresh, Jones probably never had more than 1,500 people total at one time. And Koresh had less than that. So you could say, well, that's just a small group of people that you know, don't know what they're doing. Well, I'll tell you, millions of people have been led away from the gospel to their eternal destruction, and they still are being led. Let me give you an example. In the 1800s, a man named Joseph Smith okay, founded the Mormon church. And the Mormon church teaches that God the Father was once a man, but was exalted to godhood because I guess he was good. And God and his heavenly wife had spirit children, the first of whom was Jesus. And then after that, there was Lucifer. So Jesus and the devil are really brothers. And the devil leads the rebellious children. The ones that uh, remain part of the Mormon church are, of course, the good children. And if they work hard enough and do the right things and so forth, and I haven't gone into all that stuff, but um, they are in the process of becoming gods themselves. Millions of people have believed this teaching and have been led away from the true gospel. And by the way, this isn't ancient history. The Mormons are still with us. Next time your doorbell rings, just answer it. You're going to see them. Well, but you know, that was 1800s and then it just grew. How about something that started in 1930? You ever hear of Mary Baker Eddy? She was actually a morphine addict, and she founded Christian Science. And Christian Science teaches that none of this is real. God is just universal mind. Jesus, of course, never died because he wasn't real in the first place. Death and disease are not real, so you don't have to go to a doctor. And so if you believe that teaching and you have a disease that can be cured... If you're following that teaching, you may die because of it. And the Holy Spirit is just divine science, which in fact is Christian science. And of course, there's no such thing as a trinity. Christian science has also led millions of people away from the true gospel. And you know, they're right here, right in your friendly reading room, nice and quiet, so you can sit there and read their false teaching. Now, the example I've given about specific cults, I've used ones that are sort of headlines, so you, you can, you know, uh, you've heard of these before. 
Uh, you'll recognize the names. But there are warnings all over Scripture about false teachers and perverted interpretations of Scripture. False teachers can arise in every denomination and in every congregation. Now, you might say, I would never fall for any of that stuff. You know, I just, I, I wouldn't believe that at all. Believe me, these people will make it much more attractive than I just did. Okay? They'll present their teachings attractively and they will appear as angels of light. And they'll play on your fears and your ego and your lusts and your desires. And much more subtle deception than what I've talked about is taught from pulpits and churches all over the world. Let me give you three marks of deception, the common marks of deception, so you can have a picture of that in your mind. First, it's very common for these teachers to deny the uh, inspiration of the scriptures. Or maybe they deny part of the inspiration, and the other part they say, this is the key. This is the true key. This is the secret information, and I've got it. So follow me. It takes precedence over all the rest. Secondly, in one way or another, they're going to say, they may say, that you are saved by your works. And very often they're going to say they have the secret knowledge of what works will save you. So when somebody talks about being saved by works or grace through faith plus something, that they may be, uh, they may be going the wrong direction. Or thirdly, They'll just come out and tell you, the teaching of the church, organized religion is just wrong. The teaching of the church is wrong. The Bible is corrupted. That's what the Muslims will teach. The Bible is corrupted. Okay? And they know better. And let me tell you how it's, uh, what's better. Just don't pay any attention to that stuff. Okay? When you hear any of this, watch out. Now, I want to emphasize that, that what I'm saying is not a call to a witch hunt in the church. That would be worse than having false teachers. That would destroy the church anyway. Instead, this is a call to hold firmly to Christian principles and to help each other to grow in the faith so that deception won't work. So um, let, let me give you, I guess, a, an example, an illustration of that. You've gone through the narrow gate, and you're walking the narrow path. And right beside the path, there's a patch of cactus with a bunch of thorns, right? I'm not asking you to get a shovel and dig that patch of cactus out and try and throw it away. You're going to get stuck anyway, which is not going to be good. And that's not what we're talking about. I'm simply suggesting you don't jump in the patch of cactus, okay? You just keep walking on the path. Don't fall for cactus, right? Seems obvious, but, but don't do it. 
Um, and if you think somebody has sort of an odd interpretation, something that doesn't sound quite right, I suggest you go up to them and ask them, gee, where, where is that in the Bible? And if they give, they may not be able to point to anything, but if they do point to something, take a look at it. Does that answer the question? Either you're going to learn something or they will. So ask an honest question. And, and if that doesn't solve the problem, then I'd suggest you talk to one of the pastors or elders here and ask them. Does that sound right? Don't go around accusing or gossiping. Just try and get the right answer. And also, you should, you should understand that damage of false teaching doesn't happen quickly. It takes time for false teaching to sink in and pull people away from the true gospel. So if you're concerned that somebody may be trying to lead others away from the church or away from the gospel by deceiving them, take your time. There's going to be time to watch and to see what's going on. But keep in mind the true gospel and, and don't just buy some story. And by the way, Jesus in this passage tells us, of course, that others can deceive us. But he's also very clear that we can deceive ourselves. In verses 21 to 23, Jesus warns us about this self-deception. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And in these verses, Jesus is painting a picture of a self-deceived person. And by the way, if you look at this, he's not saying there's one or there's a couple of them, a few of them. He's saying on that day, many will come to him. And they're going to tell him that they are entitled to enter the kingdom of heaven because of their good works. They're proud they prophesied and cast out demons and did miracles in Jesus' name. But they didn't mention forgiveness or humility or mercy or purity. They didn't talk about loving enemies or doing unto others or prayer or fasting or giving. They just talk about their spiritual gifts. They're proud of those. And, and, you know, that's the same mistake that the Corinthian church was making. And that's why Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians, wrote that chapter 13 on love. And what he was doing was he's saying, let's take an example. He says, okay, I'll, I'll take an example. I'll assume it's myself. And he says in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith, so I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, if I have not love, I've gained nothing. And you can see the self-deceived person that Jesus is mentioning. He's saying, I am nothing? I gain nothing? What have I done wrong? Is there anything wrong with prophesying? 
or casting out demons or, or doing miracles, healing people and doing it in Jesus' name? Anything wrong with that? And the answer is no. No, those are all good things. What's wrong is you have confused religious activity with making progress in your relationship with Christ. That's why Jesus says, I never knew you. There's no relationship there. And it is a relationship with Christ that guides you. It is not all the other stuff. These people have deceived themselves into believing that their good works and religious activity are going to earn them heaven. And they fail to understand that the way to heaven is a real relationship with Christ in the form of submission and obedience. And you know what? That's exactly what he said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. So how can we avoid being deceived by others or avoid deceiving ourselves? And, and Jesus answers that by showing us the discernment, that is the ability to tell false teachings from the true gospel is the key. Discernment is the key. And, and he gives a simple example that, you know, that anyone can understand. He compares good and false prophets to trees. And he said, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree will bear good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. Well, all right, so let me give you an example about this, I think to, hopefully to, to bring it home. You know, uh, my wife, Odette, likes lemons. All right, so I go down to Home Depot, you know, they have that sort of garden thing, and I'm going to get a, one of these little dwarf lemon trees, plant it in a big pot out in the backyard, I'm going I'm to please her with this. And, of course, I'm smart enough that I don't have to ask anybody which tree to buy. I just go, and I'm going to buy a tree, right? So I go and buy a tree in a big pot, plant that tree, water it, feed it. And a few months later, I noticed, you know, there's, it, it's growing, instead of leaves, it's growing those little green, looking about this long, look like needles. And there's this, something starting to grow in the limbs that looks a little bit like a pine cone. And I'm thinking, you know, it'd be nice to decorate that for Christmas, right? <laughs> That's not a lemon tree. Actually, that's what was pointed out to me. And uh, <laughs> I didn't need anybody's advice. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you wait and you see, and you see what grows on the tree. That's, that's the example he's using. And it's a pretty easy test when you're talking about trees. Sooner or later, believe me, you're going to know whether you got a lemon tree or not. So how do you apply this in everyday life? How do you stay on the path that leads to life? And the answer is simple. It's spiritual growth. In fact, Scripture tells us that one of the principal purposes of spiritual growth is so that we may not be misled by false doctrine or outright lies. Take a look at Ephesians um, chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. It says, he, that is Christ, gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
Okay? So, so pastors, teachers, elders, and so on have been given to the church to build up the body of Christ. Why? Well, if you look at verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's why the church is being built up, or at least that's one of the principal reasons, is so we won't be led astray by these people. Think about this for a minute. Okay. There's nothing easier to deceive than a baby, right? You know, they're, they're laying there, and uh, they're trusting. They got their eyes wide open, and anything is fine. I mean, that's why we say it's like taking candy from a baby. Well, we say we're born again. And when we're born again, we are spiritual babies. And our eyes are open, and we're trusting and anybody that says anything, gee, you know, I hadn't thought of that. That sounds right. You have to have spiritual growth. You have to mature. So people can't lead you astray. The spiritual babies need care and feeding so they can grow in discernment of the truth. And, and you know, Scripture uses the same analogy. If you look at uh, Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, for example, it says... Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Makes sense? Since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In 1 Peter 2.2, like, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. It's not, he's not talking about works. You grow into salvation down the narrow path instead of being led away. So the discernment that comes to protect us will come from spiritual growth. And that's why in Psalm 1, in verse 3 of Psalm 1, it says, it describes the man who's blessed. And it says, this blessed man, he's like a tree planted by streams, that yield its fruit in its season, and uh, its leaf will not wither. Now, in time, if your life is nourished by streams of spiritual living water, you're going to yield fruit, and one of the fruits is going to be exactly what I'm talking about, this discernment. So there's three important things to, to uh, understand about spiritual growth. One of them, first, attend church regularly. Okay, as the writer to the Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, let me suggest to you, when you come to church, you have these notes in your, um, uh, in your um, bulletin, and you take the notes. I would suggest afterwards you go home and you look at those notes and check out whether the scriptures that I have said or talked about are accurate quotes okay uh, that's why i put at the end of your your notes you'll see all the scriptures that i mentioned go look them up to make sure it's a, first of all accurate some people will twist it a little bit they'll put in a different word and 
just to make a point. And, and that's not fair. That's like playing with a deflated football. It just, you know, it isn't, <laughs> it, 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 it isn't what you're supposed to do. <laughs> okay? All right. And then look at them and see the surrounding verses and see whether I said what I said is a fair interpretation because you can pick out little verses, but see whether it's uh, what's fair. You, you do that kind of thing, you're going to uh, have some spiritual growth there. Okay, next, go to mini church if at all possible. No one has perfect discernment, uh, but when we come together in community, we help each other with that. And in mini church, you'll be able to have the benefit of accountability in your spiritual growth. It's not a burden to have this accountability. It's a benefit. You're going to be able to discuss the week's message. If you have a question, you can talk about your issue of discernment and people are going to help you. Third, read your Bible every day with a consistent plan and get a little education. You know, HCMI uh, here at Hope Chapel provides low-cost, high-quality education. Take some courses. So as you do these things, you should be growing in faith and discernment. But how do you, how do you know you're growing? Let me, let me give you an example. We talked about the, uh, the uh, Tuesday night ministry going up to Mammoth. Well, one uh, New Year's, Odette and I went up there. And we got invited to a party, went to the party. And coming out of the party, it was, you know, it was really dark up there. And it was a blizzard. It was terrible. So, you know, I said, oh, no problem. We're going to be able to drive home. She's saying, no, we better. Okay, so we got in the car, got about halfway there, and we're not going anyplace. Snow and ice and so forth. And so, you know, I put the car into reverse, and I stepped on the gas, and the, the speedometer goes, you know, over to 50 miles an hour, and I'm not going anywhere. The wheels are spinning in the ice and so forth. Same thing. I put it in low gear, go forward, spinning, no luck. That's, that's the way a lot of Christians are in their spiritual growth. They just spin in their wheels. So how do you know you're making progress? About three, four weeks ago, Pastor Zach gave a message on uh, noting your uh, spiritual growth. And he had uh, 10 uh, questions to ask yourself. I typed them up and put them in my Bible to remind myself what's going on. I think they're, I think they're great. Um, I would suggest you do the same. The, the, uh, get the CD and, and look at it. And what you're doing is you're saying, not am I you know, loving or am I forgiving? What you're saying is, am I more loving than I was six months ago? Am I more forgiving? If you're, if you're trying to climb a mountain, sometimes you have to stop and walk, look back and say, have I, am I going up or am I just going around? So um, test your growth. That's the way to do it. And then until Christ comes again, there's going to be false prophets and self-deception, even for the most mature Christians. But grow in the faith, grow together with the aid of the church family, and you're going to be able to tell the false gospel from the true. And when you hear somebody purveying the false gospel, pray for them. Pray that they learn the truth of the gospel and that Christ touches their life just as he touched yours. Amen? Amen. Lord in heaven, we... Uh...
we thank you. We thank you for so many blessings you've given us. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the family that you've created here.